scripture reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, have become convinced of, because you know from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not, up, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to see what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. <coughs> this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Thank you, Van, for that scripture, for that word of God. Let us bow our heads in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words that I speak and the heart that I speak from bring glory to you, our God. Amen. Fran mentioned that we had only been a part of this church since December, but I can tell you, I feel like I've been a lifetime member here because of the love and the acceptance um, that you've shown to Richard and I, and we certainly do appreciate it. And I'm blessed and humbled this morning to stand before you and share God's word with you. Our scripture is from the last letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. It was probably in the late 60 ADs. He wrote it with encouragement, instruction, and warning. He tells Timothy to keep the faith, but why? It's because the good news of redemption is true. He encourages him to persevere and to stand firm because he knows where Timothy got his 
education of scripture from. He got it from his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, who were faithful servants of God. They taught him from a very early age, and he embraced it. And knowing that Timothy was well-versed in scripture, Paul encourages him to continue using his knowledge and his enthusiasm to share the Holy Word with the people, to bring the good news of Jesus, which is what it's all about, to the people. Because, you know, at that time, the Old Testament was the scripture. Jesus had come, but the New Testament was in the process of being written. We see Jesus in many places in the Old Testament. One commentator that I read described the Bible as a single story with a single plot from beginning to end. Sure, there are side stories, but the scripture leads us right to the feet of Jesus. Verses such as Isaiah 7:14, where he tells us that the virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then in Isaiah 53:12 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah, 2 Samuel, Zechariah, and the Psalms, they all hold scripture that points to the Messiah. Paul reminds Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. Just as at creation, he breathed breath into his human creation, Adam. He breathes breath, his breath, into his holy word. It's alive and trustworthy and promises to hold us in the palm of his hand if we'll let it. It has saving power, transforming power, and that's why it's so useful in our lives. It told us when Van read that scripture teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and gives us plain instructions for living the life of righteousness. But that's for the purpose of equipping us for God's work, for his purpose. First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it, use it, to serve one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace. That means pay it forward, y'all. And I can testify that if God calls you for his purpose, he will give you all that you need to accomplish that for his glory. I promise you I wouldn't be standing here if he did not, because I'm not capable except through the grace of God. Chapter 4, Paul issues a strong charge to Timothy, one that is given through the ultimate judge of the living and the dead, our Christ Jesus. That charge is to preach the word. Preach it whether it's an acceptable time or an unacceptable time, whether it's a good time or a bad time. Preach it all of the time, always. 
but preach it with the right attitude, the attitude of Christ himself. Patience, kindness, and love through Christ. And he tells us why. Because a time is coming, is what it says in Scripture, but maybe it's already here, when people will turn away from the truth. They'll only want to hear what they want to hear. As one commentator I read said, it's what tickles their fancy. They'll have itchy ears. They'll only want to be taught by those who teach to suit their own desires and passions. And the church in Ephesus succumbed to that. It became aligned with the political powers of the time, and it turned its back on its first love, Jesus. Does that remind you of our culture today? But again, Paul encourages Timothy to stay the course, keep his eyes on the prize, endure suffering, and fulfill his ministry. And although this letter is written to Timothy, it should inspire and encourage all of us, his children, to follow the teachings and the ways of Christ. Keeping the faith leads us to our eternal reward standing at the throne of Jesus. So what is faith that Paul encourages Timothy as well as us to keep? Faith is described in Hebrews 11.1 1 as the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I found a little bit more expanded uh, explanation and I really liked it. I thought it really spoke. Faith is the assurance that the things revealed and the promises of the word are true, even though unseen. And it gives the believer a conviction that what he expects in faith will come to pass. Faith involves a practical expression of belief, trust, and confidence in God's word. No physical evidence is needed but we do like it when he furnishes us with that physical evidence, don't we? Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Faith and grace are both gifts to us from God. The difference? Grace is given freely, and we can't do anything to earn it or lose it. Faith is a gift that we must choose to accept. It's basic to establishing a relationship with God. It's not only believing in God, but trusting him as well. However, in my life experience, I have found that there is a difference in trusting in God and trusting him with my life. Faith is a way of life, not just something we have, but something we do as well. James, I love James, in chapter 2, verse 26, he instructs us with these words, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Sure knows how to step on toes, doesn't he? 
But faith is the catalyst that spurs us on to obedience in Christ, and it still instills in us a desire to become more Christ-like, to live our lives emulating his love and his passion for people. Jesus was all about people. I read an article not long ago. I don't even remember where I read it because at the time it was just an article with an interesting concept. But as I thought about the article, I began to see my, point, my life in a point that I only speak about because it brings, it shows the power and the glory of God. It's part of who and what I am today. The article talked about a human faith, a faith in Christ, and a faith of Christ. The human faith is temporary and is connected to feelings. As long as events are going well, aka our way, we're full of human faith. When things go bad and the outcome's not what we want, that faith disappears. And you see, I can relate to that. I've always considered myself a Christian, a believer. But in the late 80s, some events took place that changed our lives. Richard lost his job, and we were forced to sell our home, uproot two teenage daughters, and move to another town. We'd been faithful churchgoers prior to that event, but somehow when we relocated, we didn't seek a family church, a church or a church family. We were too busy for God. And my human faith was wavering. Then in 1988, our first grandchild, a, son, a grandson, was born. Well, I don't have to tell any of you grandmothers how excited I was. I was filled with inexplicit joy. Five and a half months later, our grandson went to sit in the lap of Jesus. My heart was broken into tiny, tiny pieces. I was devastated. I took a downward spiral physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That human faith wasn't wavering. It was gone. I was furious with God. Wanted nothing to do with his love, his promises, or his grace. I couldn't forgive him for taking my precious grandson. And I made the choice to reject the faith that God had given me. Remember, it, he gives us that option. The only support I had was a friend who was an alcoholic. But by the grace of God, the grace that I didn't want to have anything to do with, she kept me from going from the valley of despair to the abyss of despair. Of despair and I wallowed in that despair for many years accusing God of all the bad things that happened in my life I was a victim of when bad things happen to good people and it was all God's fault then in the late 1990s we were slated to move to Atlanta Georgia and I was really excited but the week before we were slated to fly out to Atlanta to find a home, Richard was called to an interview for a job in a 
southeast Arkansas town of 2,500 people in the most poverty-laden area in the United States. And he took it. God was meddling in my business, and I was not happy. Little did I realize until some years later that this was God's plan for my restoration. Of course, at the time, God could stuff his plan. I didn't want any part of it. But God didn't care what I wanted. And I thank him that he wanted me back and had set that stage. But I resisted. I guess you could say I was hard-headed about letting God be part of my life again. Several weeks ago, Pastor Alice spoke about the one lost sheep. I was that one lost sheep. But because of God's love for me, I was also that rescued sheep. You see, God had anointed four earthly angels to block my path to destruction. These faithful women of God were his hands and feet, but mostly his heart for me. These ladies listened to me, loved on me, badgered me with the word, led me, pushed me, pulled me, reluctantly at first, back to accepting God's gift of faith. It wasn't an overnight success because I had opened myself up to Satan, and he was pretty active in my life. I didn't murder anybody or rob a bank or anything, but he had hold to my faith. We tried to integrate back into a church family, but when I went, all I heard was, why are you sitting here through this message? All the preacher talks about is himself. Or, Jane didn't speak to you this morning. Why do you want to be in a group where nobody cares whether you're here or not and, whether, and where they ignore you? God doesn't love you anymore. He took your precious grandson. Of course, there was little truth in the lies that he was telling me, but I was so used to his lies, it was hard to ignore him. But my faithful angels stood by me and kept me on the right path. And ever so slowly, God opened that little bitty hole that was in my cold, hard heart, and he restored my faith. And I'm so grateful that he is always there and never leaves me. And that's a promise in Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And I thank God for that promise because I was going to need it because my trials were not over. As my faith grew, God prepared me for another bad time in my life. One Saturday morning, on very specific, July 16th, 2016, we received a telephone call saying that our granddaughter had been in an accident. So we started packing so that we could go to be with her. About an hour later before we left, we got a phone call from our daughter and it had not been an accident, it had been an incident. You see, Kelly had been abducted, driven to a small cemetery on the outskirts of town, 
and shot in the head at point-blank range. She was being airlifted to Jackson, so we threw our things in the car and headed to Jackson. We waited in the waiting room while she was being evaluated and then listened to the doctor tell us that with the injury that she had, chances were she would not make it through the night. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was numb. But God, in his grace and mercy, surrounded us with the body of Christ in action. They prayed for us. They prayed for her. They loved on us. And they literally carried me with their prayers and love. People that we didn't even know. People from around the world. The next morning, the news was that she had made it through the night. But the next 48 hours were critical. And so on and so forth, if you've ever been in a situation like that. And I don't remember if it was the first or second morning that we were waiting for the news, but Shane, Kelly's husband, came in, and he said to us in his anguish and anger at God that night, God had spoken to him, and he had said these words, Shane, it is not over until I say it's over. God was in action. He had a purpose for Kelly, and she had not fulfilled it yet. Romans 8:28 was the verse that we held to. It assures us that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The next week, through God's mercy, Kelly overcame many obstacles that came with the injury. And through the grace and goodness of God, the God of miracles, she walked out of the rehab hospital exactly six weeks from the day that she had been injured. Faith, the assurance, and the evidence was staring us in the face. We saw lives changed. Our lives were changed. You know, it's hard to remain in human faith mode when God has blessed you like that. We as believers all have faith in God and Jesus Christ, hopefully. Faith that his promises are true, faith that he will always be with us and for us, faith that God is in control. We hold a commitment to living a life that is Christ-like. But the faith of Jesus is deeper and involves total, total trust and commitment to the, to the control and purpose that God has in our lives. You know, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he spoke these words from Luke 22, 42, and 44. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You see, Jesus prayed this prayer three times, and each time it ended with the words, Not my will, but yours be done. He trusted the will of his Father, even though he knew that it would cost him his life. 
In fact, he lived his whole life knowing his purpose and his fate. And yet, he not only persevered, but he excelled in his task through his Father God. I struggle with turning it totally and completely over to God's will. But I try because I do love God, and I know he has my best interest at heart. Where are you on the faith scale today? Where do you want to be when Jesus triumphantly returns? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.